0: Good afternoon everyone, we are here with uh, Aaron Lund, uh, a fellow at the Century Foundation and a uh, a very well-respected journalist uh, working on Syria, someone whose work has been followed by uh, uh, Syria experts, journalists and uh, laypersons alike, and uh, we are very happy and uh, lucky to have him with us today. Hi Aaron. Hi, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, how are you? Good, good. Uh, I, uh, again, am very happy to have you join uh, Status Alwada for uh, your first interview, perhaps one of uh, several to come. And uh, we would like to uh, uh, talk with you a bit about Syria, casually, uh, specifically Mm -hmm. about the uh, post-December situation after the uh, takeover by the regime of the entirety of the city of Aleppo and the uh uh aftermath in terms of the developments within uh the rebel groups uh, movements and what is it exactly that uh, you have uh, for instance uh observed as a trend or a pattern and and uh, if you can end with where where you think we are now right okay big question
1: <laughs> well i i mean i think uh the, what happened with 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 Assad and the government recapturing Eastern Aleppo was, I mean, it's become symbolic or emblematic of of of, of sort of not the government winning, not the opposition losing, but a, a tipping point in the war. I think, uh, and really the the seeds of that uh, were, I mean, it, it, it was already happening, but but Eastern Aleppo finally falling to the government was kind of the the point where everyone and by everyone I mean in this you know the the the, the international community the the Western states, the United States, and the others, they sort of recognized it openly and they said that you know this is not the the rebels are not they're not winning and and that sort of ha- everyone has been sort of reformulating their approach to the war since then, i think um, and i mean I mean the trends were were clear already, I think that the the rebels. I mean, they were under siege in Aleppo since spring 2016, and they tried to break out, and at one point they they sort of broke out, but then uh, they were pushed back in again. And I think the the real tipping point here was much earlier. It was probably, you know, if I have to find a single moment, it was the Russian intervention, Russian-Iranian escalation in September 2015. That was when things really changed, I think. Um, and since then, I think we've seen the, uh, the Syrian opposition, uh, it's been co-opted what what remained of the the insurgency has been co-opted by, by outside players in one way or another. And in the South, of course, Jordan and the government, the, the governments working through Jordan, um, have sort of, they've accepted to de-escalate in the South and, refocus their attention on the Islamic State and, and uh, other jihadi groups in that area at the expense of the war against Assad. And in the north, you have seen more or less the same thing with Turkey when they pushed into into the area northeast of Aleppo with Al-Bab and, and, and Jarabulus in these places in August 2016. and. Basically, Turkey reconciling with Russia in, in in the summer of 2016 as a consequence of you know uh, sanctions and and just Turkey realizing that the war wasn't going their way and and the PKK through various front organizations was rising in, in, in Syria. I think that I mean we're now seeing Turkey focusing much more narrowly on Turkish interests at the expense of the war against Assad as well. They're still his enemy, they still want him gone, but they're not really. Pushing for that in the same way as before. Uh, they're pushing to, to secure their own border against uh, and to weaken the, the Kurdish groups. And then, the, what, what really remains of the insurgency, the, the independent insurgency that's still sort of primarily focused on toppling Assad, uh, on the one hand, you have some pockets of territory like the eastern Huta, uh, east of Damascus, and you have uh, a few towns north of Homs, Rasta, and Talbisa, and these places and a few other enclaves inside inside uh regime territory uh but then really it's it's the northwest uh idlib basically and and some you know uh, adjacent areas in uh, like western Aleppo countryside and and, and north hama's little uh speck of territory in, in northeast latakia as well So And that part of the insurgency, which still has backing from abroad, from from Turkey and Qatar and and even the U.S. in some ways, um, that could, I mean, that still threatens Assad or or the Syrian government in many ways, but it's also, I think, it's gone too far down the Islamist route, you know. The uh, former, the the group now called Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, uh, formerly Fatah Sham, and before that the Nusra Front, which was Al Qaeda's wing in Syria, they really are the, the the most powerful faction in that area of Syria right now. And the, the second most powerful faction, which is the only group that could really balance them in some way with with a proper amount of international support and so on, that's Ahrar al Sham, which is which is also a pretty strict fundamentalist. Uh, Group striving for theocracy and, and, and rejecting democracy, and in, in, in the sense uh, you know uh, understood by, by by the United States and others, so they don't want that group to win either. It's it's it's, it's you know maybe Turkey and Qatar and other governments and of course private funders abroad in the Gulf and so on could could still support that insurgency uh, just to. Spite Assad and spite Iran and spite Russia and 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 prevent that area from falling in Turkey's case because they don't want the refugees and so on. But the idea that anyone uh, would seriously back that slice of the insurgency as a contender for power in Syria, I think that's that, you know, that's not happening. Uh, Idlib will is is more likely to turn into sort of a. You know, as, as as some people of the opposition's decision side say, you know, the, the Kandahar of Syria, it's 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 turning into an area that will be at some point regarded the way people in the West now look at Raqqa. You know, this is sort of the jihadi badlands. We're not backing anyone there. We just want to get rid of this territory. And that's a tragedy, of course, for the civilians in that area. But, but the political effect is that the, the opposition doesn't really have any. There's no area where the syrian opposition really has a, 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 a can use as a staging ground to to go for either a military victory or even a political solution that, that would that would sort of incorporate them in power in some way so i think the in in some sense the syrian opposition however we define that they've already lost the war and they can redefine the war as just fighting to stay in the game and, and you know sure you can do that but it's not It's not the same thing as they were fighting for in 2012, 2013, 2014 and so on. So that's my take.
0: Do you think uh, we are witnessing, as some have said, the end of the military option, not as in the end of uh, the use of uh, force to uh, fight the regime and its allies, but sort of the end of a military option uh, as far as... Uh, nearly all the opposition uh, factions are concerned, whether they are civilian or uh military uh, is it is it uh, uh that we are getting to that juncture or that we have gotten to it uh, at least in part or or is in in your view based on your um uh work and observations and research is it something that is going to be a matter of regrouping and then everyone is going to jump on the bandwagon again in light of course of the of the various fissures and and uh, uh infighting that we have uh, been witnessing yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, one should, ne- you know, should never say never, you know, uh,
1: this war has, you know, continued to surprise me and I think everyone, like every year there's, there's this big upset, whether it's the Russian intervention or the rise of the Islamic state or something like that. Um, so something could still happen to really change the game again. And I think there are some rebel groups that are still fighting with, with that as their, you know last remaining sort of hope uh that assad will just suddenly fall down dead one day or something like this um but i think if 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 that hasn't happened and it continues on the current trajectory then what remains for the opposition groups for the for the armed opposition is uh some of the rebels are talking about you know going underground and conducting an insurgency and it's not territorially focused and trying to hold territory, but you would instead go, you know, uh, work with car bombs and assassinations and ambushes and and just organizing clandestinely. And that could, you know, absolutely, that will be a part of Syria's reality for for many, 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 many years, I think. Um, But an insurgency like that in this situation will be a jihadi insurgency. You know, like we saw in Iraq, Uh, the only group that sort of came out of that phase alive was the Islamic State at that point. And in Syria, it will be the Islamic State, or it will be the al-Sham al Qaeda, whatever you want to call them. Um, So, I mean, I don't see a future for for any sort of internationally backed, respectable, so to speak, opposition under those circumstances. And that doesn't mean the fighting is over. It it just means that the sort of the I think the, most of the governments involved in the Syrian war will no longer back a, a military um, strategy for regime change, uh, as they have so far. And and what that means, I think, is that people will, you know, it won't mean that the fighting is over. It will mean that that, that they start focusing on their own interests and securing them in, in different ways. And that's what we're seeing with Turkey. It's what we're seeing with with, uh, with Jordan. And I think we're also seeing with with the United States, you know, the United States ramped up its counterterrorism operations, uh, drone strikes, missile strikes and so on in in northwestern Syria, Idlib, a lot since autumn. And that coincides, I think, with, you know, the, the you know, some people say it's because the United States decided that, oh, these jihadi groups are a bigger threat than we thought. I think maybe the real reason is that they decided that. You know, the, this insurgency is, isn't going anywhere. There's no reason for us to hold back anymore. So it's a more of a nationally focused, interest-focused strategy. And where the Syrian opposition ends up in that, I don't know. Um, the 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 problem, I mean, in 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 a in a normal civil war within quotation marks, uh, maybe you could have rebel groups transitioning to to a political role and. To, Taking part in in, in the political process, but the problem here is that you don't have a political process. The Assad government isn't offering anything. I mean, they have their reconciliations on a local level and so on, what they call reconciliations, and they have uh, various formal and informal mechanisms whereby you can be co-opted back into the system. But but it's really nothing that that I mean, there's no real power sharing going on. There's no open debate. There's no there's nothing to to, to there's no other side of the conflict to jump over to. There's no one, you know. And that's a problem, I think. And that's a function of how the regime works in many ways, that it's so closed and narrow-minded and just incapable of change, even in ways that would benefit it, I think.